Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line. Cause Stone Cold said so. If you're gonna blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz of Horns, 24-7. I'm Jeff Howe. Game week is here, so let's not waste any more time and get right into this week's proceedings. Let me bring in the rest of the team. First, he's the master of the soundboard, the drive machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and our daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Uh, I'm good. The uh, I started talking. It's weird doing the remote thing we're doing now. Um, I started talking, and my dog just got up and walked to the other room, so I guess she didn't want to listen to us record the show this week. So. <laughs> I, I guess Daisy's going to miss out. You're uh, scaring her. Yeah, I guess. Uh, a man who I'm sure has his dogs with him. Uh, he's a dog person. He's a people person. He's a renaissance man. Wears many hats before the purposes of this podcast. He is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that team ring comes back, we'll make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. And when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Thank you for the intro, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, always a great intro, and this game was extra special. 
Rod, you are busier than a one-armed paper hanger these days, my friend. Just getting after it in all <laughs> kinds of ways. <laughs> hey, man, I, I, I got to make sure the message gets out there. And I'm fortunate enough, there are a lot of, you know, great entities that cover Texas football that allowed me to, a platform to be able to do that. So, uh, no, man, I, I enjoy the grind and I enjoy, you know, making sure that the the message uh, and the really the conversation, the discourse about Texas football, that it's it's infused with it, the true information and that it actually does have somebody who, I'm not saying I'm directing the conversation, but somebody who knows ball that's yeah. infusing it with all the knowledge. That's part of all of us, though. That's that's the blitz. The blitz kind of started out that, you know, but now you got a lot of other forms to get on, so your boy's just trying to make the most of it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people doing good content out there in the Texas market. And if you're a Texas fan thinking, oh, I'll just read the newspaper or I'll, you know, just find something on online, you, you're missing out. And it's it's a shame. It's a shame. A friend shouldn't let other friends be ignorant when it comes to Longhorn football. Exactly. So if you listen to the Blitz, uh, if you follow me at Horns 24-7, if you listen to any of Rod's multiple platforms that he's on, just kindly nudge people in that direction so – you know, you don't have to just do the eye roll and, and clutch your head when you hear somebody talking about Longhorn football and you know they're way off base. That's what we're here to do. And we're here we're to talk here about to... game week. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, one being in no way, in any way, shape, or form, am I surprised by it, and ten being you are ready to grab a pitchfork and a torch and head to Moncrief. Uh, what is your level of outrage on Sark not releasing a depth chart on Monday? <laughs> yeah, man. I guess I'm old school, so now officially I'm an old man because uh, I, I heard Bama didn't really chart yet either. It, you know, it's just one of those things where you're coming out of training camp. I always thought, you know, I want to visualize my success. I want to see the achievement. I want others to see it, recognize it. So I want to see it in bold print, baby. Rod B, number one cornerback spot. Coach Aquino would sit us in rows uh, based on who the starters were, who the second string guys were, and Ooh. you know, man freshman i wanted to sit in the front row i wanted to be the guy that sat in the front row to once again lead the conversation right set the standard and uh that took pride in that and i guess now there's a different mentality there's a different method to it so i'm not saying it the one's bad or one's good i'm i'm not gonna be the old man that ran said man you need a depth chart what the hell's going on no i would like one just for a conversation <laughs> so we have something <laughs> to talk about but other than that no i understand what they're doing now i mean the guys in the locker room, they know who's starting. Uh, but yeah. I wanted everybody to know I was starting. I wanted the media to know, fans to know. I want everybody to know I earned that spot because, man, that was a hard spot to earn. Like Quentin Jammer and Nathan Basher and Michael Huff and, you know, Cedric Griffin in that room. Man, that wasn't no easy spot to earn that spot for three years. I celebrated that moment just a little bit. And then I got back to work. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and the way that we've had just modern coaches, I know just from doing daily fantasy, it seems like every year more and more coaches are not releasing depth charts. Yep. Like we're at the point that Rice isn't releasing a depth chart. But like you said, Rod, now we have so many different entities that cover these things that you get a better vibe and you can actually dig into and find out most of the information. But yeah, the coaches, they really aren't going to share it. And I'd say if you look around, we're maybe at the point that – less than half of the teams are going to be sharing depth charts somewhere around there. Yep. You're probably right. 
Yeah, I I would rather I would rather Sark or whoever the coach is. I would rather you not. I feel this way about injuries. I would rather you not release anything than treat me like an idiot. Like Dave Aranda's depth chart. Like Baylor has a depth chart. They <laughs> so they had twenty nine oars on their depth chart. Like at that point, like why even put it out? Agreed. You know, Agreed. like I'm like with, if I'm you. You know, if if you don't want to reveal injury information, don't. That's fine. You're the head coach. That's well within your purview to do it. But don't tell me, well, I think that guy's got a chance to play. When you know homeboy broke his leg, he's going to be out for a few weeks. He ain't no game time decision. And you know he's not going to play on Saturday. Just don't don't hint that he might. Don't, don't treat me like I'm dumb. But uh, I know some people got, you know, a little bit of outrage and were wondering, oh, what, why does Sark not want to release a depth chart? It boils down to, and we've kind of talked about this, he didn't release one. Because he doesn't have to. And if college head coaches in this day and age, as we talked about with NIL and the portal, they're losing more control year by year, they can control that depth chart. And damn it, if they don't want to release one, they ain't going to release one. I I hate to make it sound that simple, Rod, but I I think it really boils down to that. I don't have to do it, so I'm not going to. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's just the the new age where, hey, why give up information you don't have to give that could give the opposing team an advantage? I, I think when Texas plays Bama, you know, Texas will have to game plan for all three quarterbacks. If I'm Nick Saban, I play all of them. I'll yeah, play yeah. all of them. So you'll have to waste practice time game planning and waste, you know, energy and resources game planning for all three quarterbacks when I damn well know I'm only going to play one, you know, maybe two of those guys. Yep, and that's exactly the reason. It isn't necessarily for Rice. You don't need to really not release one because you're afraid of Rice, but it's setting the table for the rest of the season. You don't want to have that precedent where the media is going to be expecting to have a depth chart when you're playing Okie State or when you're playing Texas Tech, and then if you don't need to divulge that information to your opponent, just allow them to have to scout more and do more. And it's the same thing when we talk about multiple personnel packages and how much scouting is going to have to be put out there. Well, if you don't have a card cut outline from the coaches, there actually are more possibilities. So it just adds more gray area for the others to prepare for. So with with we don't have a, a depth chart, or as Matt said one time on their show, death chart. Uh, yes, sir, that's sir, bad. Good Lord, we, where nobody sounds, needs. Yeah. That's not, yes, yeah. death charts right up there with erotic blitzes. If I look, man, if I if I go and whenever I leave this mortal world, that's definitely not how I want to go out. Uh, so <laughs> just let that be known. But you know, we do have we do have a couple of things we can talk about and. You know, when, when you the only job really that Sark said, hey, this is what it is, was he said DJ Campbell and Cole Hudson are going to get some work at right guard, which uh, doesn't surprise anybody that's had even the slightest pulse on what's happened through camp. But starting running back, he said he hadn't made a call yet. It's either going to be C.J. Baxter or Jonathan Brooks. Uh, that cornerback rotation still solidifying it with Ryan Watts, Terrence Brooks, uh, Malik Muhammad, and Gavin Holmes is still in that mix. And then backup quarterback, he said he's still letting you know Arch and Malik battle it out. Is there any one of those, Rod? I'll start with you. Is there any one of those that that really intrigues you in terms of maybe not even for the Rice game, but just to see throughout the course of the year if that thing goes back and forth and maybe it's a week to week deal on how that changes. Um, on the, to me on the defensive side of the ball, I mean we could go running back there if you want, but. The defense to me, I just think there are more 
uncertainties on the defensive side of the ball with those competitions. The field corner is where I'd start. I'm just really intrigued what's going to happen there. Uh, mm -hmm. And obviously, I'm a little biased. <laughs> um, but I'm just really intrigued by that because I think it's one of those weaknesses that for, if you're game planning against a Texas defense, you start there. You start yeah. in this one place, like, oh, I start there, field corner there. That guy is not a proven commodity. I'm going to attack that guy early and often. I can build a passing game around attacking that guy. Um, so I, I think whoever that is, that's you got to sure that up one way or another. And these have contingency plans. Um, and they do. They do. They, they trust it. Sark said they have four corners that they believe that four corners and Ryan Watts is mostly your boundary corner, but he believes that, you know, Malik Muhammad can play both of those positions, boundary and field, and Brooks can end up playing both of those positions too. Uh, so that's where I start, man. That's to me is big. Cause I think that is a weakness that if you're a game planning offensive coordinator and you're looking at that, that's like, all right, we're going to start the game plan there. And then well, since the injury to Mo Blackwell, I think the two for me is that off ball linebacker, you know, uh, linebacker, weak side linebacker opposite Jalen Ford, who's going to be that linebacker because that's probably the other place where if I'm a D offensive coordinator, attack that person too. I'm going to go after whoever that, that David Bender or if that's Anthony Hill. He's, he's a prodigy, but he's young. Um, so those two, to me, are probably your biggest issues and the ones I'm paying the most attention to. Yep, and the corner is a good point because when you look at what Texas lost, you know, they using Deshaun Jameson the way they did it and how effective he was more zoning up opposite of Watts, it makes me sort of wonder how much of the, say, defensive scheme will change because when you look at uh, what Holmes did when he was at Wake, now it was just at Wake, but, you know, when you look at man-to-man -man coverage, very few schools have players that play like more than 20% man-to-man. Gavin Holmes, he played last year 33%, but back in 2021, it was over 50%. In 2020, it was over 63%. So I think they sort of got him because when you look at him in his in zone coverage, he gave up a really high NFL rating throughout his career. So I really think they got him to be a man cover guy. So it may be more matchup specific, but when you look at him, I think that's something that they have him for that tool and want to see what they get out of Brooks. Now Brooks was great in man coverage this year. So I don't think there really is a wrong answer. It's just, I think one guy is more pigeonholed to being more of a man guy in Holmes, And then Brooks may be able to be more malleable opposite of Watts. It's a shame that, Rod, I want to go back to linebacker real quick. It's a shame that all of that, you know, big dime and, and you know, hybrid packages we talked about with Mo Blackwell, and that's all for not, at least for a couple of weeks, because he's out with a knee injury. Like, what is it about me just getting a crush <laughs> on a Texas player and then they get injured or they start to slump and they lose their job or they transfer out? Like, I feel like I'm becoming the kiss of death for guys on this roster, but – yeah, Mo Blackwell's out. That to me, Rod, that to me is more of a problem area than corner. Because at least so Ryan Watts is at least a proven commodity. And between Muhammad, Holmes, and Brooks, I would hope between one of those three guys you can find a frontline guy. But really, losing Mo Blackwell, your margin of error has shrunk. And I think shrunk somewhat significantly because if for whatever reason David Bender struggles, you, you really got two options at that point. You either roll the dice on Anthony Hill and just throw the young kid in there, or 
at that point, maybe you do have to have a three safety package in your back pocket to get Keaton Crawford, Jaron Thompson, and Jalen Catalan on the field at the same time. Yeah, I don't think, honestly, the reason I, I'm not that concerned, I'm concerned, obviously, but I, I, don't, I don't have it as my top concerns because I do think you have schematic uh, contingency packages. You know, we talked about the fact that they believe they have three starting safeties that you could go with more packages and go with three starting safeties, keep Jaday mm-hmm. Barry on the field, move those around with your corners. You love your, your interior defensive line, right? You could actually put more D linemen on the field, uh, actually, yeah. and, and anticipate and actually go with, you know, more of a, hell, if you're going to go with a dime, you could go with a, a four, one, six, or more of those guys on the field and go with a, a different type of, high pitch you could put together to put all of your DVs on the field and you don't necessarily have to rely on that linebacker I think you because you're deep on the D line and deep in the defensive backfield schematically hopefully you should be able to solve that issue but you're right if teams decide that whoever they put there David Bender is a liability in the run game mm-hmm. um, that, could, that could be a problem uh, if they're a liability in the game but I anticipate that because the D-line is so strong. So yeah. we'll see. But those right, those are two big problem areas for Texas on defense. And we don't know about the defensive end opposite Baron Sorrell. We think it's Ethan Burke. You know, if that if he's if that practice, those practice reps don't translate over, that could also be a problem. The point is there are three potential um problem areas defense. I think everywhere else you have proven commodities that you're really confident in. Guys, you know, they're going to give you a consistent baseline of performance. But with those three areas combined, if God forbid two of those three actually are problem areas and you don't have consistent, you know, play there and you don't have service or play there and it's a weakness and a liability, then the deep that we can go from good to great could potentially go from good to bad. Uh, that could happen. I don't anticipate that happening, but I'm just saying that's right. why the defense, to me, is a little bit more fragile with all those potential, all those uncertainties. Yeah, and what you brought up there, Rod, I think that four-one-six idea, there isn't a better week to throw it out there than right now against Rice and see how it feels because on paper, that seems like something that could, if that works – it would be perfect for this team because you like what you have up front. We already talked last week about Jalen Ford and how elite he is in run stops. Those four D linemen up front, I hadn't brought this up on the show, but you know, you lost Moro Ojima, who lined up at all four spots on the defensive line last year, but you returned four of five guys from last year that lined up at all the A, the B, over the tackle, and on outside. And that's between Sweat, Collins, Sorrell, and Broughton. So you have the ability to be multiple there by moving those guys around. Using a guy like Ford, you can bump safety down into the box. We know how we've liked what Catalan's done in his previous stop. And you have this week against Rice that isn't going to be a team that's going to really beat you up. Now, Alabama's a total different story, and every single week it's going to be a different matchup. But this week is the perfect one to put some stuff out there and see what fits. You know, you know, Rod, one guy, though, I don't, I don't think we've mentioned him at all during camp in the secondary. One guy that I think we're forgetting that if you decide to run more 
you know, dime packages, you want to throw out a, a quarters package with 70 Bs, well, however you want to do it. One guy that we haven't talked about is Jalen Gilbo. And there were there were times early last year where, you know, I, like the Alabama game, things were moving a little too fast for him. But he was a guy that was kind of in and out of the lineup, got his feet wet a little bit. Then he got hurt. He got the knee injury. Like, we haven't thought about, at least I haven't, thought about Jalen Gilbo pretty much since he got hurt last year. And if he's a guy, if he can emerge, reemerge as a starting caliber player, now you're talking about there's another body that in some way, shape, or form you can manufacture some depth with. Yeah, exactly, right? The, the point is you have – you got ways to solve the problem on defense because of depth on the back end. You just brought up Gilboa, another – on the D-line. I mean, even if Anthony Hill is the natural pass rusher off the edge, they say he is – then hell, man, you can still go to three, two, six, yeah. and you just put him on the edge. He's on the edge, and then it ends up kind of looking like you know, kind of a four, one, six. But it's still essentially the same premise. The personnel is just a little bit different. But I just think there are ways to figure it out. Um, but the, the, I think the consistent part of the defense, the identity, has to be if they can stop the run like they did last year. The assumption is right. they'll be able to stop the run like they did last year. If they can't do that, that'll be a problem. I don't think that is because they're still talking about defensive line depth. So they're going to be able to stop the run. Teams are going to have to beat this team throwing the football. Rice wants to throw the football. Uh, they do. They they believe that's a strength. They were, I believe, what, around 65th, somewhere around there in passing offense last year. Um, and they got their highest-ranked signee in program mm-hmm. history at the quarterback position, right? A.T. Daniels, who's played – at the University of Texas, on campus before, it, for two other Power 5 programs. He's mm-hmm. got experience there. I'm going to take advantage of that. I don't know if they have the weapons. We'll get into it. But they football. That's ideally what they would like to do. I don't know if they can do it versus Texas, but they would like to do that. Yeah. Uh, Matt and I were kind of talking about it before. You know, Luke McCaffrey's their best, especially with Bradley Rosner transferring to NC State. He was mm-hmm. a late, late portal addition. Uh, jumped in there late. Luke McCaffrey is their guy. And then with Daniels, yeah, they they do want to throw it out a little bit. You know, Mike Bloomgren and, and Marcus Tuiasasopo, I think Mike Bloomgren still at his core. Uh, you'll see him run some of that David Shaw stuff, getting, you know, some some 22 personnel, you know, a lot of two tight end stuff. Uh, you'll see them have, you know, multiple backs in the game. But they're, they're the point they want to spread it out a little bit, don't you? know, Marcus Tuiasasopo, obviously there's an NFL background, but don't forget, he's he's been on the staff with Sark, so he at least has – some knowledge of a dynamic offense and what it looks like uh, just from a schematic standpoint. So, yeah, they'll, they'll be a little more diverse. I think you'll, you'll just get a, I don't know, Rod, I think Saturday from, from Rice, if you're the Texas defense, I think you'll almost see like just kind of a gumbo. It'll just be like a lot of different or a stew. There'll just be a lot of different stuff kind of thrown in. You, you really don't know kind of what you're going to see. But, you know, when we talk about the defensive line and stopping the run, I don't know how much you'll see it on Saturday. And maybe you I, I think you put a little bit on film just so again Alabama has to spend time working on it. But we do know there is a 3D line package. If you go back and watch the spring game, you can see little hints of this, little kind of you know, kind of kernels of it you can pick up along the way. There's a package where they'll have you know, Sweat, Collins, and Murphy on the field at the same time. And whoever that extra uh, that extra interior guy is would just bump the the buck linebacker off the field. And there's also a package from what we've been told where you could have those three plus Vernon Broughton on the field at the same time. So that, that goes back to the whole deal 
we talk about Rod, you talk about all the time coaches are problem solvers. And then we've heard I've heard stories, Dave Rand to talk about it, other coaches talk about it. And figure out who your best eleven are, where is your strength, and how can I get the most out of it? How do you get the most out of this deep defensive line, this deep talented defensive line? Well, put as many of those dudes on the field at one time as you can fit. Yeah. No, I'm with you. It's it's it's, it's different. One of the things that have at your disposal as PKs right now is you have depth on the defensive line. You got depth in the defensive backfield, and you have one linebacker who may be the most dependable, consistent defensive player in the Big Twelve in the conference. So, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the best in the country. So, even if there are issues that come up on your defense, you should be able to solve them schematically or with depth. I mean, the guys that are just that we haven't, you know, maybe David Benda is the answer to that, to the issue at linebacker, and then he's steady, and you can use Anthony Hill. We're just, you know, in terms of trying to problem-solve potential issues that may arise based on the proven commodities and that we know on the team right now and on defense. But, I mean, with, with Rice, like I said, they, they didn't have a 100-yard rusher last season. Yeah. Texas had one of the best rush defenses in the country. Man, if you're going to that game just trying to run the ball against Texas, you're, <laughs> you're waving the white flag. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, yeah, that's all you're doing. If you if they go into the game like, yeah, we're gonna run the rock. Like you, Rice, you gonna run the rock against Texas, who uh, allowed 3.3 yards per carry last year, and you didn't even have a hundred yard rusher. That's what's gonna happen. Like to me, if if that's what Tuliasasopo comes in there with, then he just he's already waving the white flag. He's just hoping to keep it close. And then yeah, it ain't gonna be close. It's gonna be a blowout. I think early on, if you want to infuse hope in your squad, you got to go out there and get some plays. You got to go out there and make some plays. Um, and I think the only way for them to make some plays is for them to either, you know, have forced the issue a little bit. And you can't, they can't force the issue in the run game because they don't have the bodies to do it. They don't have the girth and the mass up front. They don't have the skill in the backfield. They just signed the highest signee in the program's history who's at the quarterback position. And he's not a dual threat guy. Like I, so I, if they come in there just handing off the ball, I, I, I'd be blown away. Like, whoa, what a, you know, just you know, what a gutless game plan. You're right. Yeah. Got nothing to lose. It's like the old JFK <laughs> quote. Why, why do we choose to go to the moon? Why does Texas play rice? Right? We choose to do it because it's hard. Like you yeah. go into the game and just hand off the football against Texas. Well, good luck inspiring your squad. They got a chance to beat Texas or keep it close. <laughs> go out there and get whipped, man. I think early on, you're going to see – I'm just saying if I'm the coach, early on taking some shots, I'm going to see my quarterback, JT Daniels, if he's got it in him that day. Yeah. Who knows? He might. And that, you know, that's where – oh, You're going to get beat. Man, Texas is going to mollywop you. you just coming there and the football. Yeah, I totally agree when you talk about it that way. Like, if you were a team that actually thought you had a chance to beat Texas, you maybe run the ball to shorten the game. But when you're a team like Rice, you just need those explosives. And that's why losing a guy like Rosner's really big deal because he was really yep. productive and he was that deep threat guy. But Luke McCaffrey, he's a very good D1 level wide receiver that can make plays. He's played all sorts of different positions. He's a guy worth watching on the Rice side on offense. But when you go just to put a, a bow on the corner conversation and possibly Gilbo, I pulled the numbers and it was pretty impressive. When you look uh, in the big 12 run stop percentages for corners, it was Adrian Fayette, Fry at Tech at first 
And then Jalen Gilbo had 4.7% run stops. He was second in the Big 12. Now, minimum, I put in a 64-run snaps because that's all he played before he got hurt. And then Jade Barron was third in the Big 12 at 4.6. So then I pulled it out to FBS. And with a minimum of 64 run snaps, Jalen Gilbo was 13th in the country and Jade Barron was 14th. So those two were quite elite at run stopping. Now, uh, tackling was a bit of an issue for Gilbo, but that could be something that could be fixed. Yeah, I was just I was just checking the Texas Tech depth chart. I was like, surely Adrian Fry can't have any more eligibility left than he does, and he's gone. So <laughs> there you go. Is, it's COVID eligibility, man. It'll it'll throw you for a loop. Just some of these dudes been there for no. for a long a long damn time. Uh, and JT Daniels is is one of those guys now at this point who's been there. Has been a college for a long. Isn't it weird? Like his career trajectory. Like you think about it. He came in with Stearns and those guys on that yeah. USC team. Yeah, it's like that that eighteen season. Uh, you know, he was he was a, a age wise he should have been a true freshman, but he really like just bypassed his senior year of high school. But age wise, he you know it, it was he was he was an age appropriate college true freshman. But at that point, you're thinking like he's 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 throwing passes to Amon Ross St. Brown, who now what is he in year three, year four in the league, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like okay, is- well. And you could tell, like, okay, USC, they're not really good right now, but they've got their quarterback of the future, and then it doesn't work out. And then he goes to Georgia, and it's like, all right, this is a guy, Kirby Smart can get over the hump and win a national title with this guy, and then he gets hurt, and Stetson Bennett's the hero, and then he goes to West Virginia and flames out there. Like, there was a time where if you looked at some mock drafts, probably from maybe the 2020 draft or the 2021 draft, like, you could have seen JT Daniels projected by some people to be the number one overall pick in the draft. And now he's playing quarterback at Rice. No disrespect to Rice, but that is that is quite the career trajectory for JT Daniels. Very true. But you know he's a you know he's an adequate prospect because he started at four different college football programs in three yeah. power five schools. I mean, how how the hell do you start at three power five schools unless oh you you have the you know, in, in a skill, in an upper level skill set. I'm gonna say elite skill set, but upper level skill set. And he's done that. So, I, you know, I, if I'm Rice, I take advantage of it now. It, and Matt was right; they lost a six-five receiver. You know, Bradley Rosner. He's gone NC State, and they also uh, lost one of their other really good receivers, Cedric Patterson, who uh, graduated, um, I believe, too. So they lost a lot of guys in the passing game. But they've been. Re- I'm not following Rice recruiting, but I got friends in Houston because I'm from Houston that yeah. actually are Rice Owls. Um, and they have been bragging about their recruiting the last four years or so. And they think they've been recruiting really, really well. Just guys we don't know about. But for Rice, for Rice, <laughs> they've been recruiting really well for them. And so you may have some kind of unknown prospects coming up for Rice uh, that will end up making their way to the field, potentially being targets and threats in the passing game for Rice. But you're right. Rice doesn't present much offensively or defensively. The truth is, guy, if I'm if I'm Sark, and I believe Sark is probably doing this, I don't have any sources, so this is just me hypothesizing. Um, I believe this week is Bama. Um, hell, last week when they were doing the, you know, or kind of mock week, whatever, that the mock uh, game and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I believe that week was probably Bama week once they were done with training camp. 
And then next week, of course, we I believe that three weeks before the Bama game, they'll be doing Bama week prep. And that's in addition to all the prep that was done from the coaches and the staff in the offseason about yeah. Alabama. So I, I don't honestly even think they're doing rice prep. I, I think they, they've done some uh, preparation for rice, but I think a lot of the stuff that they're doing in practice, maybe some of their some of the, some of the team, some of the, the seven on seven, some of the you know the concepts they're working on, Bama related, not necessarily rice related. Just because yeah, rice it, just doesn't present a at Yeah, it's not it's not like they're going to show up to work on Sunday and get around the conference table and be like, "All right, what do we know about Alabama?" Tell us what we need to know about the tie. Like, it's not going to be one of those. Yeah. Like, they'll they'll be plenty plenty prepared. Yeah, the they've been molding a lot of game plans throughout the summer for Bama. They maybe had one little day of rice or something, but Bama's been a big focus. And just to put a bow and finish up that uh, JT Daniels conversation. So we talked about at USC. We remember re- most recently at West Virginia. But I know Texas fans remember the highlight of watching – A.D. Mitchell catch that deep touchdown for Georgia and then go and dap up uh, Arch Manning in the stands. The quarterback throwing him the ball in that highlight is J.T. Daniels. Crazy. Yeah. Wild. Like I said, said, his freshman year at USC, his top target was Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, and Velas Jones, that team was stacked. Like, did you did you ask JT Dan? Did you ever ask JT Daniels like if if you pulled him aside for that Texas USC game and said, "Hey, um, your college career is still going to be going, and Clay Hilton won't be coaching USC, and Tom Herman won't be coaching Texas." What do you think about yeah. that? Like, you're nuts. You're insane. I'll be in the NFL. No, nope. both those guys have long since been fired at both those jobs, and JT Daniels still playing college football. Yeah, he had a, like a young receiver and Drake London showing up there after him or whatever, and then he's been in the league for multiple years after USC. Pretty swap. Um, but yeah, we, look, we're not going to dive. Uh, we've already done probably more rice discussion than I thought we would do. So congratulations <laughs> to us for that. Um, well, we, we talked. We talked about. It. We talked about it. I apologize to you, Houston people, Rod. I know I, I run into some rice fans, and I got a couple people. You know, close to me that they're like, oh man, one dude's like, I love rice. I'm like, God bless you, man. Just you know, <laughs> you know every, every 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 team needs somebody to root for. If you like, root who? go ahead. Um, but we talk about the issues on defense. I mean, those are potential things that could really, I don't want to say derail that side of the ball, but it could lower the ceiling. We talk about on offense. We're talking about picking a starting running back from two capable guys in theory and deciding which of these blue-chip guys is going to be your backup quarterback. I mean, you're right now, if you're Sark, you're, you're dealing with first-world problems on offense. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you, you, I saw a stat that the offensive line, they got all five coming back, and from the game notes, it, it texts that basically it's, it's the first time since at least 1993 they're bringing back all five offensive linemen. That's crazy. That's yeah. wild. Yeah, I think it's only happened uh I think it's only happened four times, I think, since not four or five times since uh since nineteen ninety two, which is as far back as we can go because you can't find school records of game by game starters beyond that. I think it's only been five four or five times since then that Texas has gone wire to wire with the exact same starting combination on the offensive line, last year being one of them. All five guys returned and 
we're probably going to get to Saturday, and one of those guys isn't going to start because DJ Campbell most likely is going to be your starting right guard. Unless something happens this week in practice or whatever, uh, DJ Campbell is going to be your starting right guard. And and that's not necessarily a not, you know, Matt, we were talking about uh, some Cole Hudson stuff and, and you know, kind of pass protection specifically where that right guard spot was a little bit of a problem last year. But, I mean, it's not that Cole Hudson's a bad football player. It's just, man, DJ Campbell just kind of, got it together and you know once they get it together like you've been waiting multiple years for him to figure it out you know he was a uh a guy you know a high school offensive line was a true freshman last year uh and just ended up you know it all kind of came together for him during the offseason and then Cole Hudson also happens to have a shoulder surgery so everything kind of lined up for DJ Campbell to go take a starting spot if he was capable of it and damn it if he wasn't capable of it man everything I've heard about this guy is when they're doing inside run periods or scrimmages this dude is just an absolute road grader at right guard yeah and that's the exactly what texas is going to need not only because of you know the run game and losing guys like Bijan and rojo but you sort of hinted it at it there jeff and it's numbers that i brought up back after the bowl game but when you looked at texas i wanted to put it in context to the rest of the big 12 so i pulled the numbers for allowed pressures where pff actually tells you the percentage of dropbacks where one position had some responsibility for allowing that pressure. And when you add up the entire offensive line as a whole, Texas was actually worst in the conference, 83.9%. So you would think, man, returning all five, that's not necessarily good or they're young, got a lot of growth to do. But when you actually narrow it down to each individual player and position, Texas was actually elite in three of the five positions inadequate in four of the five, it was just right guard of the 83.9% of allowed pressures for the O-line 30.4% came from right guard. And that's basically, it's by far the worst right guard situation for the entire conference. But when you look in context of anywhere on offensive line, like left tackle for tech in Kansas state was problematic. And then you could say Texas at right guard was basically the worst other than those two. But when you look at left tackle, 10.7%. It's elite amongst all the starting quarterbacks and the pressures that were allowed against them. That's first in the conference. If you look at center, only 12.5%. And that also first in the conference, elite. Nobody else is below 14.4, actually 15.6. It was the second best in 15.5. Then if you look at right tackle, Texas also elite, 8.9% of dropbacks with some responsibility of the pressure. Uh, Oklahoma was in the ballpark with 11.4% allowed there. But you basically had three of the best five pass-blocking O-linemen up front. It's just you also had one gaping hole that made the whole group as a whole perform below average and arguably be the worst in allowing pressures in the Big 12. And these are all during 56 pressures allowed while Quinn was that quarterback. Yeah, you know, I, I do think to one way to alleviate pressure, we talked about it, man, just get the ball out of the quarterback's hand quicker. Um, I do Quinn was see, good at that. Yeah, I do hope we see some quick game on Saturday. Uh, Rod, I know you're, you're a big believer in the quick game, a big believer in empty formation. We probably see some of that on Saturday, I would assume. Well, give me a couple things, Rod, that are top of mind for you. When you sit down, I'm assuming you'll be watching it at home, Rod, not going, not going to the stadium to check this one out. Uh, yeah, I, I think the game plan will be pretty vanilla. I don't, I mean, 
there's some conceptual signatures that are just um, pretty, you know, baked into Sark's, you know, game plan and his offense. Right. So you're going to see a lot of pre-snap motion shifts. That's not anything new for, for Sark. You're going to see action pass, you'll see RPOs. Um, you could see some empty formation. I, I, I honestly, you could see a little bit of it just to see and work it. I, I doubt it. I, I think this year empty is going to be one of their kind of key concepts. I've talked about this ad nauseum, so I'm not going to bore people with it. But and I've talked. I do think it's going to be really key this year, just because you go look at the bowl game. Uh, Quinn Ewers had his best performance uh, in empty formation. In the bowl game, I think they're going to carry that over. It just makes a lot of sense, but you don't need to break it out versus Rice. Uh, just, just really, I don't think there's any need to. So yeah. I don't think he'll get exotic with the play design. I don't think he'll get exotic with concepts and personnel packages. I think you'll, you'll see your normal twelve. You could see your big, the big, big eleven, big twelve to six zero line package. You could see that just because that's something they've already unveiled. Um, but yeah, I don't think you're going to get any exotic really creative design from Sark. Yeah. Going to get kind of the basics. And they're going to, I mean, he's still going to take deep shots, but that's something that's part of Sark's DNA as a play caller. And, you know, he's mm. always taking deep shots. I don't think that's anything specific, but like new wrinkles, you won't see the new wrinkle that you haven't seen otherwise until the game. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I guess it depends on what kind of coach Sark is because, you know, Rod, you, you know, some coaches, every coach is kind of cut differently, but some guys philosophically line up. Is Sark one of those guys that believes, you know, I need to see us rep it in a game before I feel good calling it in a big situation, which mm-hmm. every situation next Saturday is going to be a big situation. Or is he one of those coaches that, no, I trust what we do on the practice field. Even if we're running this, you know, we got this formation, this personnel package, uh, this trick play, whatever it is. He feels comfortable enough what they do in practice to be able to call it in Tuscaloosa. It just, it, He's going to be a, comfortable. He's going to be comfortable because these are his guys. Yeah. That's why he's mm-hmm. comfortable. He's talked about that. These are my guys. And X, X-Man's his guy. Quinn's his guy. These are all guys that he recruited. When he came in, he didn't have that luxury. I think now you're going to see it. And even Alabama is a great example. We saw the three, the three back sets. Uh, the, even the deep ball to X-Man was motioning X-Man out. Was a target mm-hmm. to open. Um, I mean, you saw some of that stuff early. Even he, and then, I, mean, I, I do think that you know he, you say like different personnel packages in this game. But like I said, the new yes. play designs and wrinkles. I don't think you're gonna see that until back. I yeah. really do that. This when you break it out. Yep, and you've hit on it perfectly right there because the numbers sort of bear it out too, Rod, with maybe seeing different personnel packages because last year you sort of were stretched thin at outside receiver. Once you had some transfers go out, then you had the Naor injury, and you saw guys like Whittington and Worthy have to have their times that they're split out wide instead of playing in the slot go way up. Whittington went under Sarkin his first year. He was out wide only 14% of the time. He went up to 36% last year, but that was a little bit more out of necessity because you didn't have, say, your A.D. Mitchell or your Nayor, which you do this year. Last year, it was thought Nayor would be the guy, but also Worthy. If you look at Worthy's percentages, he went down from playing the slot 30%, and he was 70% out wide in 21 to nearly 78% out wide. So between Whittington and Worthy, they bumped out. 
22% more and 8% more to make up for you not having that outside receiver. And that actually allowed you to use a guy like, say, Keelan. We already hit earlier the past couple of weeks on how great Keelan was in the past game. And for a running back, these numbers are out of this world, the amount of times that he was split on the outside. Because in pass plays, he actually lined up 46% of the time at the slot and 16% out wide like when you look at the NFL numbers I mean you might have guys like McCaffrey or Saquon be over 10 percent out wide but very few receivers hit double digit percentage at either the slot or out wide and you had Keelan almost like predominantly when he was thrown to he was lined up at receiver he wasn't even lined up at running back so that was more out of necessity last year this year, I think it's going to be able to allow you having a guy like Mitchell come in and then potentially having a guy like Naor and then also having a guy like Cook that's so elite in the slot. You could see a lot more of those four wide receiver sets that you saw back at Bama. And also, if you consider a guy like Keelan, you just have guys like Whittington Worthy that naturally perform great out of the slot. Keelan, who filled that role because those guys had to bump outside last year, do it very, very well. So, and then you add in the extra bodies that you didn't have last year and say cook or Mitchell and you get an or back. So just the multitude of options is really multiplied a ton. Uh, one, one thing I want to hit on uh, as we start to kind of wind this down, Matt, can you do me a favor? If you've got PFF pulled up, I don't have it. Yeah, in front of me right now. I got it. Uh, five, and I'll ask you, I'll have you read this off in a minute. Find me JT Sanders, you know, percentage of where he lined up. Uh, I got it because, already written down. It's 26% uh, slot, 13% out wide, and 60% at inline tight end. Okay. So I just went and looked. Now, this doesn't tell you where he was lined up when these numbers happen, but I just, I, I forget how much of a valuable deep threat he was last year so of his 54 catches last year 17 of them were at or behind the line of scrimmage and I think this is getting back to something Jeff Banks talked about when we met with him which by the way now I understand why Sark doesn't want the coordinators to talk because Jeff Banks will say some stuff sometimes like man I don't know if Sark really wanted you to divulge that but it's good for me but I don't know if you and the boss man are gonna have a good conversation when you get back to the meeting room here in a minute uh but Jeff Banks was saying look JT caught a lot of screens last year. That stuff might not be as prevalent this year because they want him focused on stretching the defense. I looked at kind of where he was most effective in terms of where he was targeted last year. The three areas where he graded the highest last year, 20 yards or more down the field between the numbers, uh, PFF grade of 99.2, uh, down the field to the quarterback, uh, 20 yards or more down the field to the quarterback's left, 93.4. 10 yards or more down the field or between 10 and 20 yards to the quarterback's right, 94.4. And all three of those areas, the Texas quarterbacks, and one of those was a touchdown pass from Xavier, from Xavier Worthy on a double pass. JT Sanders had a perfect quarterback rating, perfect NFL quarterback rating when thrown to, 158.3, when he was targeted in those three areas. Those three areas, 11 targets, 10 catches, 201 yards and a touchdown. If you look at the times where he was targeted 10 or more yards down the field, uh, hit 30 combined targets, 19 catches, 377 yards, and five touchdowns. Seven uh, of his uh, eight contest, seven of his eight contested catches were on vertical balls. So 
we're talking about Nair and we're talking about Mitchell and then talking about all the receivers, and that's great. Don't forget, I've said this all offseason, I really believe JT Sanders is the identity of your offense. I think he's he's the glue guy. He's the linchpin. He's the guy that can allow you, as you said, Rod, kind of ties the the power run game element to you to the spread element in this offense. A good tight end can do that. Well, we can talk about the receivers and the backs and Quinn's progress offensive line, but don't lose sight that other than Quinn, your most indispensable piece on offense might be Jatavian Sanders. Yeah, no, I've said it uh, on this show, and I've said it before. I would early on, I would feature JT Sanders and and not X Men. X Men still going to get his targets, but Sark features certain guys within the offense. They become essentially the <laughs> there's the you know, the they're not part of supporting cast. They're like the 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 A list superstar within the offense, and Sark has the ability to kind of shift that. Um, you know, shift that role to different guys and use passing game. Of course, it's X Man, that's his guy. But early on, X Man will be, or at least the game plan will be to take him away. Defensive coordinators will roll coverage that way. Um, they'll allocate resources, they'll double team him. It's just easier to take him away. You can move him around, it's a chess match, move him around. Uh, but it's much easier to move around a guy like JT Sanders and hide mm-hmm. him within the scheme. And the matchup advantages are almost infinite unless you're going to put a cornerback on JT Sanders. The matchup advantages are always easy to identify for your quarterback, and it's tougher to double-team that guy. Even if they are double-teaming him, you can kind of hide him in different ways. No power five player on offense moves around more than JT Sanders. Nobody. Yeah. Like physically, he moves around more shifting and motioning more than any other player, and Sark does that for a number of reasons, but I think a lot of it is – so that you have a hard time trying to identify where he is on any given play. And I'm with you. I, I think Stark should early on, not the entire season, but just the first few games, I would let I would let JT Sanders be the featured star in the passing game early on. And yeah. then I would I would kind of get back to featuring X-Men once teams adapt to doubling JT Sanders, making him a priority in the game plan. Yep, and when you look at the way that Sanders was used within the offense and where his productivity came, it's really magnified from what Jeff said. And when you look at all the receivers, we already hit on in previous weeks how Worthy and Whittington, Mitchell, and his previous starter guys that beat man and beat zone so well. And we talked about a lot this offseason how having a tight end can be be that zone buster that if you have a good relationship that Quinn and Sanders do going back to their high school days of throwing routes together. And we've learned this thing we've talked all about when Texas didn't have a tight end and how Shipley navigated the middle of the field and those linebackers and how all these elite receivers these days, you want to get them on linebackers. And that's why Jatavian Sanders matchups always so great. And he's your zone buster. Cause you look at them last year against man, it was less than, a yard per route run. It was 0.49, but against the zone, he was 2.05 yards per route run, which is an elite level for a tight end. And to Jeff's point, you know, we look at Sanders overall, his yards per route run on the season on all receptions was 1.76 with an 8.2 a dot. But in the screen game, he was actually only 0.8 
1.32 yards per route run. His by far least efficient area was in the screen game. His best area was, like Jeff saying, going downfield and busting those zones, knowing where the soft part of the defense is going to be because you're a linebacker or you're a tight end that's going to have some coverages being handed off between guys. And if you and the quarterback are on the same page pre-snap and are seeing the same thing and know the tendencies of the defense, you can see guys, they make entire careers out of it. They'll lead guys at the NFL level that just understand conceptually. A lot of them like say Kelsey was a previously a quarterback at other stops, like being a smart football player at that tight end position and seeing the game, the way your QB does is so valuable. And that's where Jay Tavian Sanders has been elite and not to mention, the way you said, you know, you can move him around. He's a great run blocker. He does everything. So you can engineer any type of mismatch that you want, and then he can go and find that open part that they're expecting to see. Man, I, I was trying to find the text I sent you guys the other night when I was watching. And please, I hope y'all didn't judge me for watching Jacksonville State and UTEP and then getting. I was you guys watching too, man. During the game, I had my uh, lineups going. I'm a I'm a sicko like that. But I text you guys when UTEP has a has a fresh uh, third and one at the plus twenty five, and uh, inside the final two minutes, and they throw a fade ball, which anybody that's listened to this podcast long enough, fade anywhere close to the red zone just makes me want to run my face through a plate glass window. Um, I, I dislike the tight end screen almost as much as I dislike the fade close to the end zone. Like I, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't loathe it. It's not the bane of my existence, but it's. It's it's real close. I don't I don't mind like if you got a Brock Bowers and you want to run tight end screen every now and then, or even JT if you can set it up right. I don't mind it. I don't need a I don't need an opening script with like four tight end screens in it. Like at that I'm, point, you just I feel like you're pissing in the wind at that point. Like what are what are we really trying to do here? Let me give you the numbers on it real quick. Just from Texas last year in yards per route run. Keelan Robinson on screens, 5.59 yards per route run. Bijan was over two. Whittington was at 2.54. Savion Red, very limited amount of snaps. He was over four. Rojo was at 1.85. Even Worthy was right at one and a half. Your tight ends, Sanders, 0.32. And you had Helm 0.42. It's obvious by far the least yeah. efficient. And that's sort of what you had been saying that Banks sort of hinted that the usage of that probably won't be there as much this year. Gunner Helm catching a screen pass infuriates me almost so much. Y'all remember Tom Herman's second year with Texas played <laughs> at home and they had a fourth to one and they did it like a toss to Daniel Young into the boundary. Like that to me is what happened. And I, I like Gunner Helm. He's a good teammate. I think he's got a chance to actually leave here and be a good tight end. But Gunnar Helm needs to be catching screen passes like I need to be the head of NASA. Like it just doesn't. It, I don't. I don't need to see it. <laughs> doesn't. doesn't it. Rod, are you with me on this tight end screen? Uh, yeah, I think it depends on the. Yeah, if you have exceptional personnel, then you can run some of those very low percentage plays you're talking about. Fade with a big time Calvin Johnson like wide receiver or tight end screen with a really athletic freak at tight end for the most part. Yeah. Those are plays with disproportionately low success rates. Um, yes. And I, yeah, I don't know why teams run them other than to, and, I, and this is when it actually can work when you are breaking tendency. Yeah. Talking about now we're talking about late in the season, you know, championship game stuff where, you know, and you got one tight end screen, 
on, you know, on film the entire damn season. So <laughs> hell no, nobody's prepared for it. Why would you prepare for it? That's a that's stupid preparation. Prepare for something that's only been on film yeah. that little. Um, and then you break tendency. Um, yes. and that could happen with a faith too, but the it's gotta it, you know, make sure you get it right. If you don't, you just screw it. Yeah, because what you're saying right there are all those plays that Andy Reid draws up at the goal line and he gets all these no-name tight ends because they have eight of them, the touchdown instead of Kelsey. It's like that's when you pull off those type of things. That's like uh, right after the Super Bowl. You always talk about the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl where the Patriots on that final drive, they were in 22 personnel. Like, what was it, almost the whole drive? They were in 22 yep. personnel. And it was like – it was the least used like package they had. Yeah, because – they had they literally had nothing left to go to. Like that was like, well hell, nothing else has worked. We might as well try this. And that's when you can do it. If all of you just got nothing else. But no, I just I don't want to see a ton of tight end screens on Saturday. Um, real quick, guys, I'll ask you all this. Does Texas cover or no on Saturday? You guys with the thirty five but is it thirty five still, Matt? Thirty five right now? Uh, it's right. Uh, last I saw, it's there, and yeah, I think Texas does cover. I know Bill Conley has Texas covering by more than a touchdown, or almost. Uh, it was like six point four points, which is one of the best uh, differences if you look across the market. So I, I feel good about Texas covering. Rod B, you uh, you down with the cover? Yeah, they'll cover because uh, Sark wants to get Quinn out get Malik some reps and then get Arch some snaps. So I think that's the – so they got to get it out of hand as early as they can. Yeah. Um, Rod, I see why people mess your name up all the time because I've been looking at your name on this screen and, like, I just keep wanting to add extra R's all over the place for some reason. I don't know. It's just it's just <laughs> weird when I – it's just weird when I look at it typed out on my screen, but I digress. I did I did want to – I did want to – what did you say? So you might just playing tricks on you. Yeah, exactly. Um, I did want to save a few minutes here at the end uh, because as we're recording this right now, it's about one. It's a little after one o'clock Tuesday. So here in the next two hours, NFL teams have to have their fifty-three man rosters finalized. Um, Rod, there. One thing we didn't talk about last week. I, I want to get your take on it. Uh, Demarvin Overshone right now is in a place where you've been, and you talked about you know how lonely of a place injured reserve can be. And it's one of those deals, uh, that Cowboys-Seahawks preseason game, it was, you know, what is it, a 10 o'clock kickoff on a Saturday night. I was like, you know what, I think I'm going to stay up and watch the Cowboys preseason game. I'm going to see how this goes. And, like, the third play I watched is Demo go down, grabbing his knee, non-contact, and I'm like, well, I don't need to see anymore. I think I'm going to go ahead and go to bed. And, of course, he uh, ends up having the torn ACL. But, Rod, I just – you you have this experience of kind of the – I don't know if mental fortitude, mental toughness, focus, whatever you want to call it, however you want to couch it. it it's it's pretty – the way you've described it to me in the past and described on this podcast, it's going on IR, man. That's really challenging for guys. Uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it's, it's one of those things. Now people talk about mental health all the time, and it's definitely something you got to pay attention to for guys who are on injured reserve. I think teams know that now just because there's a – you know, there's a kind of depression that can set in. Um, yeah, a lot of your self-worth is wrapped up in, you know, cultivating your craft, being available, you know, to your team. And with DeMarvin Overshone, at least, it's almost a gift and a curse. He can rely on the fact that 
he was on such a you know good trajectory, right? He was mm-hmm. he was really trending in the right direction. Mike McCarthy had talked about what a professional he was. You know, Michael Parsons had talked about how you know he you know he was going to take him under his wing, and he had been playing really well. We know Dan Quinn loved him from DeMarvio and Overshown too. Even saw him you know break the huddle after the team warmups before for one of their preseason games, which yeah. is really rare. Boy, mid or a middle round pick, a uh, rookie um, before one of those games. So they really did uh, like uh, what he was kind of showcasing in training camp so far. So we can rely on that. But also, you know, that's also something that's a little bit disheartening for him because he's like, man, I, I, it, it was, it was right there. I could, you know, I yeah. could taste it. It was at the tip of my fingers. I was going, to, I was on my way to accomplishing my dream, and now this huge setback. So it's all about the attitude you have. He's got a great attitude from what I've heard, um, but he's got as long as he's got a good support system, which he does, and he stays. You can't lose confidence. You know, you can't lose your confidence. I, as a player in the NFL, you have to realize that even though you're losing ground because guys are getting better, they're getting reps, they're working out. Um, you're going. All right, you can always make that up. You can make that up later on. You know, it's just about putting in more hours than everybody else, but what you can never make up is losing that confidence. And once that confidence is shattered, you'd be shocked at how it affects your play. You just, you're not the same player when you lose that confidence. Sometimes that's really hard to get back because if you don't have the reps, successful reps to go along with, you know, your play so you can build that confidence, then your confidence just stays shattered in pieces. And that's why don't lose it. If you lose it, then you got to get it back. But if you don't, if you never lose it as a player, and sometimes you've got to be like Case McCoy, you got to have unrealistic, almost irrational confidence. Where right. like it don't make no damn sense. Why are you that confident? You ain't done nothing. You still be that irrationally confident person. That's better than having your confidence shaken and shattered and then having to put the pieces back together, even when you may not have the play and the reps to build that confidence back up. That's what I love the young man. Like, hey, you're a good player. That's why you got here. Don't lose that confidence, no matter what the hell's going on. You're you're a baller. Keep that in mind the whole damn time. Hell, V. Y. to this day still thinks he could be a Hall of Famer, and he's, you know, he'll, that's because he's got irrational confidence. He wouldn't have made mountaintop that he did without it. Yeah, I still say though, V. Y. being in Saskatchewan, uh, dealing with that when he had the the hamstring tear or whatever it was, and. He had to he had to come home. I, I think for for uh, Vy that was Rod that moment you, that moment of clarity you had in the uh, Palace on Farmer during the uh, Austin Wranglers practice. And you're like, you know what? It, it it might it might be it might be time. It, it might the, the the sand might have trickled to the bottom of the hourglass on this deal. Yeah, no, I'm with you. We all have that moment. A lot of dreams are dying right now. The NFL would cut down that. It yeah. Matt, why does it sound like you're on an AM radio frequency all of a sudden? <laughs> I totally lost your audio. I couldn't hear y'all, so I changed headphones. I think they're telling us uh, I need to end the show. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but no, Rod, what is what is cut down day like for for a player? I mean, because you've been on that you know that bubble, or I don't know. I'm, I may be putting words in your mouth, but maybe there's times where you you might have known you weren't making the 53. I mean, is it? Is it anxiety? Is it just kind of you're you're waiting for the for just the ball to drop? You're waiting for the inevitable. What is cut down day like? 
You know, it's different for everybody, right? Some guys, you don't have to worry about cut down day. These are guys with, you know, big contracts and guys with the, uh, that have signed extensions, things like that. But uh, for guys like me, which is most of the NFL, by the way, uh, which is the average career span is three and a half years, three and a half to four years. Yeah, man, you're living kind of, you know, on the edge on cut day. You could be cut, you could be kept. Uh, it, and, and, you know, sometimes you're hoping now they expand practice squads. So, you know, now guys have the hope of the practice squad too. Uh, they can mm-hmm. end up on the practice squad. You could be on the practice squad now as both a veteran players, as an older player, and they said they've expanded so more players can be on the practice squad. So I was on the product two out of the five years on, on injury reserve at one point too. So it, for a player, you're just trying to make the squad. You want them to have some confidence. They want to bring back around. Uh, the truth is, man, a lot of dreams die. A lot of, a lot of yeah. guys got to figure out plan B after today. So that's the sad part of it. But for the guys who are in my position, like I said, which is most of the NFL now, they're, they got more options, right? You got the XFL, you got the USFL. Um, they you could go to Canada. Back in my day, all you had was Canada and you didn't <laughs> even have NFL Europe. So when the NFL decided that you were no longer good enough to play in the league, you really didn't have options. I'm happy these guys have some. Man, they got options even in college football right now. You can stay in college football a little bit extra longer yeah. these days, right? Yeah, make money. He's like, guys, exactly. Guys are in there six, seven years making money. And then <clears> even when the, the NFL decides, hey, man, you're not good enough to make it in the league anymore. Um, well, you got the XFL and you got the USFL. And you can go to Canada too. So I'm glad guys have options because, man, it feels like when I played, you didn't have no options. Like the NFL was done with you. And then, like I said, I went to Canada for a little while to keep the dream alive. That didn't work. And nobody grows up wanting to be a Canadian League Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Like that's like growing up wanting to be a porn star. Nobody grows up wanting to be a porn star. You, you wanted to be a Hollywood star and you ended up in Hollywood doing adult entertainment. That's how I yeah. ended up in Canada. I'm trying to <laughs> pursue my football dreams. Keep them alive, and I ended up doing porn in Canada. Yeah. Not not uh, porn, but the Canadian the football, football league. That's my, football that's my analogy. Yeah, yes, yeah no, exactly. and it, and like the it's funny, like for everybody that's been on terrestrial radio, like the uh, you know the podcast game has kind of become uh, it's kind of become like what the XFL and what the uh, what the XFL and uh, the USFL are now. Yeah, um, you're right. You know, and, and and hey, there's. To, for your analogy, uh, Rob, there's still there's still OnlyFans out there for some people. Yes, there so is, is right? all kind of all kind of avenues out there, depending on you know how, how you want to approach it. No, I just yeah, want to get actually, your perspective on OnlyFans. OnlyFans is a better option than traditional porn now because you at least own you have ownership of your brand and you have to deal with less sleazy middlemen. So OnlyFans probably should replace the porn stuff these days. So I think it's a little bit more mainstream yeah. and. <laughs> little bit, you know. I mean, people people believe that OnlyFans is probably the future of adult entertainment. Is is it? Uh, I don't know what you can equate it to, but it's like, well, there still might be the. I think like most people know what it is, but there's still like that that cloak of. Well, I mean, maybe it's not completely sleazy. Maybe some of it can be above board. Whereas the porn industry, yeah. it's like, oh well, I know what that is. True. I think it's all, yeah, it's all pretty sleazy. I don't have an OnlyFans account, just full disclosure. I don't yet, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I don't have one, though. I don't, I don't know if I ever will. Who knows? Hell, right at the, at the way the media industry is going, we might all be on OnlyFans at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
At any rate, uh, that's going to, you know, uh, get over to Horns 24-7 uh, on cut down day. I'll be trying to keep track of it as much as I can. I know Colt McCoy got cut yesterday. Cameron Dicker, though, won the kicking job for the Chargers. They ended up trading Dustin Hopkins. So it's not going to be all bad news for the Longhorns. There will be some good stories uh, to come out of the uh, roster finalization. We'll call it cut down day. We'll call it roster finalization day. How about that? Just hey, put, that, put that little positive spin on it. Hey, we've been covering Texas football. We've been talking Texas football for over a decade on this podcast. We've had to spin a lot of stuff, man. We've had to make chicken salad out of you-know-what a lot of years. So Hopefully we're, I'm, those I'm, done. Hopefully yeah. we're done with those days. I feel like I've become pretty, pretty good doing that. But, yeah, it, uh, <laughs> I'd rather have the alternative where we're just talking about good stuff. But, anyway, that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. On your AM radio frequency. Uh, Rob B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. <laughs> anytime, brother, anytime. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. For Matt, for Rod, for all my people at Horns 24-7 and 24-7 Sports and the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network, where you can get this show anywhere you get your podcast, just search Horns 24-7, that's Horns 247, no dashes, slashes, or spaces. Click that follow button, get every episode of The Blitz whenever it drops. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And if you need any more Longhorn Blitz, Thanks to Matt, you can get all of our archives. Our classic interviews and shows are all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yeah, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For the Longhorn Blitz family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com. It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.